Welcome to episode 152 of The Space In Between, and I am your host, Phoebe Leona, and in just a minute, we are going to sit with a fellow nomad guide and tribe co-founder, Amy Gatzmeyer. And this is a little special episode because, as I said in the last, last episode, 151, we're giving you a little bit of a peek inside of the Reimagining Embodied Leadership Summit, which happened just a few weeks ago. And we're doing this because we want to make this available beyond that container of the week that we shared. So if you were there, awesome. I'm so grateful that you did that. And I'm sure listening to this now, you're still reaping the benefits of diving into these very transformative conversations. But if you didn't, I just want to take a moment to give you a little bit of an inside scoop. You're going to hear with Amy in just a moment on oh, from her interview that was inside of the summit. But this was a really special opportunity. It is a special opportunity because we brought together 30 embodied leaders speaking into how we want to reimagine the world. When I speak into embodied leaders, what I mean is that they really truly walk their talk. And we brought leaders from a lot of diverse backgrounds. So in the spiritual community, as well as the business communities, uh, healing arts, the emotional and mental well-being arts, the, the performing arts, the, the writing arts, as well as the military and this work that I do, embodiment work, how to be in the body. So the reason why I felt it was really necessary to bring so many different voices into this conversation is because if we are going to change the world, which is happening, my friends, the paradigms are shifting, we cannot go back to the old life, pre-pandemic, right? We can't go back to that old life. Things are changing rapidly in so many different different, different worlds on a very, very personal level to a very collective space. And so if we're really going to make the changes that we want to see in the world, we have to come together. We have to lean in and share these ideas from lots of different worlds to give us a new perspective and a collective perspective, a new collective perspective. I'm really fortunate that I knew a lot of these embodied leaders in some way, shape, or form. Some of them have been my teachers for many years. Some of them are people that I have been friends with for years or just getting to know. And yeah, there was a handful of them that I just got to meet. And now I feel like I just widened my circle. I created a new family. And that's my hope for you too. I really hope that you can join the Reimagining Embodied Leadership Summit and dig into these 30 amazing interviews as well as live sessions that I that I lead so that you can feel that you're widening your circle. You can feel, one, that you are the leader that you've been waiting for. And when I speak into that, I don't necessarily mean that you have to run your own business that you have to be a big leader in a big corporation, that you have to be leading a global movement or a local community. But if you're in order to do any of those things, even if you are, you have to be the leader of your life. We have to call in our power back. There have been so many ways through our lifetime that we have taken the power away from ourselves or given our power to others. And so if we want that change to really be the change we want to see in the world, we have to call the power back and be the leader that we want to see in the world. So that we don't, we stop these stories of the power over and we really start to have this power with, we really lean in and co-create this new world together. 
And we're going to talk to Amy Gatzmeyer in just a moment. As I shared before, she is the co-founder of Tribe, where we bring the tools of yoga to the military. So we talk a little bit about this mission of really bringing these tools to help the cadets, the branch, various branches of active duty, military. And we share a little bit about our why and what we hope to bring to this world from that. Uh, but I also love this conversation. She, Amy really talks about trying. And we talk about the word trying and what she, what it means to her and how she really tries in, this, in terms of leadership. She just keeps showing up and doing it. So if you're somebody out there who is like, I'm not really a leader, this is a good one for you to just listen and just show up. Just keep trying. So with further ado, let's go ahead and sit with Amy. Amy Gatzmeyer, co-founder of Tribe. Welcome. Hello. I'm so Thank happy. you. Yeah. Yeah. This is awesome. You know, I've been sitting with some people that I've met for the first time, some other people like my teachers who you know, and now I get to sit with you who started out as a student of our, of my teacher training. And then there was this whole journey and now we work together in a lot of ways. Yes. So it's, it's true. So awesome. During the year, we see each other quite a bit at certain times. We do. And you're right now in Germany. So, but we met at West Point and before we can start before we met, but yeah, just take this question, however you want to receive it. Who are you and what are you offering to the world these days? Well, I am a mom and a student, and those have often gone together. Um, I homeschool my kids, and so I am a teacher for them in a maybe traditional sense of the Western world teacher. Um, I've also since become a yoga teacher um, within Tribe, and I primarily work within Tribe as that. Um, And then I consider myself a student within my own life under you and then under my kids primarily. Um, So that's who I am. I am a military veteran, which brought me into tribe and currently a military spouse. So that continues to be a big um, connection and drive of even, like you said, we live in Germany. So I guess it shapes your everyday um, even when you don't think about it. So that's who I am. That's awesome. And there's so many other branches on the tree. (laughs) So can you tell us a little bit about your journey uh, um, that brought you to your yoga practice and then what turned into the tribe? Sure. I dabbled, I think like a lot of people maybe like dabbled in a few yoga classes in college or when I was younger, uh, mainly going for sure for the physical practice. Um, And then I did not do, after college, I joined the army. I did not do much yoga then, if any, frankly. Um, And then I got out of the army when I was pregnant, um, had my children, and it was during my pregnancy with my, I did start to do yoga again during pregnancy um, as I was leaving the army and then um, with my daughter. And it was definitely having kids Uh, my second child that really brought me back to yoga and not to the physical practice, to this idea of like, hmm, I'm not really responding in this time and place like I would like to. Um, And I need to be curious about why I respond how I am. Um, And yeah, actually the very big commitment that I made to yoga was during Lent. Um, Baptiste has like a book of 40 days of something. I don't know. And Lent is 40 days. So I did that for 40 days um, and I didn't really stop after that. So what what do you mean by in terms of working, like raising your second child and you came back to yoga, but not the physical practice? And so really- at first when I had dabbled it in college, it was like the physical practice, a yoga studio that brought me to it. And then when I went back to yoga, um, I actually never went to a yoga studio. Okay. Uh, I did it all on my own. And prime, I did do physical practices in the morning. So it was part of like the book that I was following. Um, but then the big change for me was like the uh, meditation when my daughter was napping at that time. Um, and that really I changed my perspective of what yoga is and how it could help 
and change me. Yeah. Um, and then I guess you finished the question by saying how that brought me to tribe. So it's a long journey now. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, after that point, like really got super dedicated to yoga. Um, like I said, I did not really go to a studio until several years later, um, about five years later, then I went to a studio occasionally on the weekends. Um, so when I joined you with teacher training, it was, I think I was maybe an anomaly in that I was pretty self-taught. Um, and I like working alone, (laughs) um, and which is, you know, interesting for leadership talk. I like practicing alone. Um, and then we really connected at the other people within the yoga teacher training. I think we saw a need based upon our experience as military personnel, veterans, Um, Like I said, I did not practice yoga. I did not have these tools of mindfulness. And it wasn't until I got out of the army that I think I really realized that something was missing and how I was reacting was different. I didn't find a place to even notice that within myself while I was in the military. Um, So I was interested to create a space that would allow for that to happen. And though we created tribe. Yeah. Yeah. And just to go back up for those who are listening, who don't fully know what tribe is. So you met, we, you met at the teacher training that we let, we were actually just talking about Liz Kent, major Liz yes. Kent. She invited <laughs> me to come to teach at the West Point yoga club for the cadets there at, at West Point. Correct. And then, um, you and Jessica were veterans and came in and I will never forget your final practicum or leading up to the final practicum. <laughs> Speaking of leadership, but we'll talk about that another time. Um, but that wasn't then, not my final. <laughs> that wasn't your final. Okay, when you stood behind the podium. Yeah, but it's I bring that in because it's been such a journey being able to witness you um, through that time. Like you said, you work together on your own. You know, basically teaching yourself the yoga practice, and if and when you entered in, you definitely had a depth to the practice that most people who have just gone to a yoga studio and did the practices in a, you know, the physical way, and maybe they got some of the other elements that, you know, that yoga is the, the, like you spoke of the meditation, the breath work, the philosophy of it, but you actually did really come in with a depth that some students don't always have, but yes, it was more like, as I've been witnessing you over the years, it's really been this transformation of stepping into that, that role of leadership, not just as a yoga teacher, but yeah, you helped co-found tribe, which brings the tools of yoga to the military. And I would love to just kind of look at that a little bit more under a lens of what that meant for you to step into a leadership role, not just as a yoga teacher, but as this co-founder and maybe other roles in your life. Um, yes, through the yoga journey that you've led us on, uh, I've discovered that uh, my Dharma type is laborer. So, uh, and I, I fought it a little bit at first, or maybe I fought, but I was a little, a little snarky. Um, and I realized though, upon reflection that I think it's a role that I've, um, always filled. Um, I'm one of those people that, you know, maybe it used to be a little bit self-depreciating, like, oh, I don't have any strengths. Um, I'm not really good at anything. And now I've realized like, well, those things aren't totally true and they're not totally false. Like I'm not particularly like great at anything, except we've determined, my family and I've determined that I try really hard. <laughs> I will try really hard at all the things and <laughs> I can fail at a lot of them. And then I'll just keep trying something else. Um, but I tend to try when, um, I see a need for something, uh, or a a hole, you know, if you will. Um, and so that's, you know, within the homeschooling community here, like I said, that's my, uh, foremost job and leadership role, I would say. So I've created, um, homeschool mom book clubs, especially after 2020, a lot of homeschoolers were very, um, isolated, especially being in Germany. So we've created ways for moms to get together and discuss while kids play. Um, I've set up other homeschooling groups. I've set up play groups, chess clubs. Um, again, it's like when I see a need, I'll just try to put something in the, fill the void. Um, and then with tribe, yeah, same thing. So we came together, we had this idea, um, Jessica, you, me, Cece, 
And um, I knew I couldn't do it on my own. So I needed some guidance, which I guess fits the labor type as well. Um, but I knew that I can I can do work and I can try different lots of lots of different things. And we've discovered that starting a business or starting a nonprofit is all about the trying. Um, there's a lot of different paths that work sometimes and then don't work anymore. And that's okay. That's business too. Um, that's working with others. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's this idea of leadership is you try what works, recognize that something's going to work for you personally for a little bit, and then you might need to adjust because of family circumstances, especially in the military, like we move. So there's times of year that I need to recognize it's not going to be my strongest. Um, my like, With homeschooling, we have seasons, you know, so seasonally adapting, choosing your energy levels and products then, um, but also adapting to, you know, the population that you're serving. So try, try, try as a leader to find the void, fill the void, and um, just keep adjusting for yourself mm-hmm. and others, I think. Yeah. Thank you for that. I When you're talking about trying, that's, it's funny because... I have another group that I'm a part of and they want you to get rid of that word try because it's actually like somewhat of a negative, but I love how your spin is, is really from this, this place that when you're speaking to it, it's a, a place of non-attachment. And I also hear that, like what I know of you to be very curious too. So it's not like sometimes people say, oh, I'll try to do that. And it feels almost defeative. Like that's where this group that I'm in, they're kind of speaking around that. But with you, it's like, it feels like there's a lot of spunk there. (laughs) Like, all right, I'm just going to get up. I'm going to try this again. And I love, I love that about you because you have really been able to, see what works. Like you said, when it doesn't, we just, you know, pivot a little bit and that's the non-attachment, not like holding on to this has to work and give it the death grip, which I'm guilty of in the past. (laughs) And, but then you also have this element of curiosity. And I know that these are two themes that you bring into your yoga class too. So I'd love for you to just sort of explain a little bit of how you teach a yoga class with curiosity and on non-attachment and what that might look like. And then how that does really directly apply to, um, life and it could be leadership or just life in general. Yeah. Well, certainly, um, shout out to you. A lot of my curiosity or so much of my curiosity and teaching now very much comes from movement 109 practice. So that, like I do on my own. And then, Um, that I've learned to incorporate. So I would say first and foremost, I'm always curious about my students. So um, with the population that I'm currently teaching, I just have like a free drop-in class um, with a military unit here in Germany, a a US military unit. And um, so I will have a few people that come consistently. Most people come once and then never come again. Um, And I'm always very curious, like what brings you here? You know, Um, and I'm forever curious about, and we'll never have the answers, but about like what their current ideas are of yoga, um, what their fears are, you know, especially when someone only comes to a class one time, it's, it can be challenging to create a relationship with them and have ever answers. So a lot of the curiosity, you know, and it goes, maybe the trying, sits in this unknown element, like non-attachment. This person's probably not going to come back. That's okay. Maybe they will. And I also can't be attached if they come back or not, right? Because they have a busy op tempo here. Um, It just is. (laughs) I I don't even try to think of reasons anymore. So first and foremost, I'm curious about my students. What are their needs? Um, Then beyond that, I'm just always, you know, watching them and then inviting them to be curious as well. So I do that through questions, like maybe if nothing else, they leave the practice knowing that yoga doesn't just equal flexibility, Mm -hmm. um, because that's (laughs) what most of them seem to think. So what, you know, what do you hear for you in this pose, bodily sensations? What is it like when you shift your weight a little bit this way? What is it like when you drag your hands a little bit that way? Um, What is it like just to breathe or not breathe in this moment? Um, so lots of questions then for the students, um, and 
yeah, I think I return to frankly the same questions over and over for those people that do come back all the time. Um, then in the end during Shavasana, which I think can be one of the most challenging parts for a yoga teacher or a restorative practice, you know, just the quiet, like what am I experiencing in this moment and how can I create space for others in this moment? And how do I find the balance of the two? Right? These are kind of continual questions. And um I think on the wider scope of yoga and leadership and tribe, like where does my practice end and someone else start? Mm. Uh, I think these are continual questions of curiosity and same with being a leader slash a laborer. Like when am I a leader? When am I a laborer? And where are those mixed? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I a lot of questions. Always yeah. questions. I see a Venn diagram. Like when you just said that, right? Like where do they meet in the middle? And I love the questions, because that does leave a lot of space. It sounds like, um, the way they, and I have experienced your class, so I know, so I can confirm that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and there's also what you bring to it is a little bit with that curiosity of playfulness, like a lightheartedness, not to bring everything so serious, because sometimes I feel like when people come to a practice, what you spoke to about when you were asking them why they come and there might be addressing that there might be fears there. When we bring that lightness and that playfulness and curiosity sort of drops down that those barriers that, that fear puts up. Right. And so it invites them into in a, in a more playful way, which I think you do so well, particularly the population that you generally work with being in the military, because there's a way that, you know, things are done And you're sort of doing the same thing, but just in a slightly more expansive way. So you're meeting them where they're at, but then allowing them to go a little bit in a different direction. Do you feel the same? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Um, I definitely try to use, you know, terms the military knows. I uh, refer to running or weightlifting a lot. I know that this is typically how people um, spend their time physically. And so I do, I try to relate to them on that aspect. And then, like you said, bring in a little bit of playfulness, which you don't always see in a male dominated um, and even like male mindset dominated. Um, I think Mm -hmm. the military is 20% female now, so definitely still male dominated. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so you don't always see this playfulness. When I was in the military, I certainly didn't feel like I could have elements of playfulness and I would definitely wear, you know, um, like masks and speak louder and call and make demands more to, you know, make myself bigger. I was also very young at the time. Like that's part Mm -hmm. of being in the military or either very young or very old. And so you're even within that, right. People are feeling out who am I now? But at that point I wasn't curious or asking questions. I was just lost in the wind, not knowing, (laughs) not knowing who I was and speaking loudly. So yeah. So if they're, so I love that because I'm now I'm, now I'm curious to, <laughs> to see who you are now. And if there was, you know, if you could go back to that younger version of you being in the military, um, do you have some words of wisdom to pass on to her? Uh, I don't know. I try not to, it's a good question. I, I, I wonder sometimes I try not to look back that much. I think I would just be more forgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, but, but not just forgiving of myself, like forgiving of others. Um, because I think maybe being this trying person that I've always been when I see others not trying, um, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think now, you know, I have non-attachment, I have curiosity of like, huh, you know, I don't know what happened at breakfast for that person, or I don't know what happened before breakfast. And, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't matter. Whereas before I think I could just be harsh in my thoughts to myself and others, um, which led to quick reactions, um, mental exhaustion and yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really important conversation to have in terms of the leadership because I I think I've been there as well. And I've been working on that a lot myself is especially when you're in a role that you can see the potential for yourself, but also for others. And it's, it's somewhat your job to pull that out of them, 
right? But then you ultimately have, they ultimately have the free will to make the choice to come along or not, right? And so it's something, and you also said something early, earlier too about the class, like if they come back to the class or not, and to not be attached to them not coming, because that could also get in the way too of like, oh, you know, the it could go into the people pleasing as well of like, oh, well, why didn't they come and follow my class again? Mm, for, sure, for sure, for sure, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So those are sort of some pitfalls that can come in, the, in those leadership roles of sort of letting ego get in the way, whether it be your ego of like, why didn't they come? Or what you were just speaking into about them not living up to your expectation. <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's certainly something the people pleasing, I think, is something I think about. Right. Like we said that as leaders, we adapt um, to what or business owners, nonprofit owners, whatever. Yes. Like we we do need to adapt to what needs are and to what desires are to meet our populations. And I also need to know like what's best for my population, you know, being curious, like, why are you here? I also work um, with a physical trainer um, there and an athletic trainer who tells me you know, hey, people need to come to the class for X, Y, Z for their bodies. Uh, it's never because they need to get stronger and do more push-ups and, you know, do some crazy back bends. It's like, because they need to find some calm and look for themselves. And I think a lot of people will come to my class when I say think, I mean, no, because I've asked them and they've told me, um, you know, with a background in pot yoga and super fast vinyasa. Um, and this I think is their, um, expectation sometimes, and that's not what I teach. Um, and I know that's not those sort of classes don't meet the intention that they gave me. Don't meet the intention that the personal trainers have set for them. Um, and so, yeah, you're you're stuck in this. It's an interesting place, I think, from a tribe teacher versus being like a studio teacher where I might need to adapt more. But when do others also not know what they want and are blind <laughs> a little bit, even to the options, frankly? Like if that's the only type of yoga they know, then that's literally what they know. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to what we were, we touched on a little bit ago too, of like, we have to meet them where they're at, whether it is that they have an expectation that's at a hot yoga and we're going to go, you know, or power yoga where we go super fast, or we're going to get really sweaty. They might have that when they come in the door, or they just have never been exposed. And specifically the population we're talking about is military, but this could really be for anybody in any situation. As somebody comes in with an idea of what they're entering into. And that could be a job, right? So we have, as a leader, we have to kind of meet them where they're at, what they think their, their experience is about to be right. And sort of not like people please them and try to, you know, get them to drink the Kool-Aid, but like, just say, I see you. I see where you're at. I see what this, you know, I'm listening to you. I see what your expectation might be. However, I'm going to give you a little bit of that. So you feel grounded and safe. But I'm also taking you to this other cool place, right? And sure. I, yeah, and knowing that it might not be an easy journey to get there, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's where that's how you bridge it so well in the way that you teach and the way that you, I'm sure, also, I mean, I haven't witnessed you with your kids, but how you do your homeschooling too. It's like you use that curiosity almost like a bridge, right? Like, hey, you got to the bridge, <laughs> like the, I'm like, you're not a troll. <laughs> like, you know, like, okay, the you're not troll, like, has to pay. <laughs> not under the bridge. Well, whoever that is that stands at the bridge and, like, has to pay. Well, the troll's under. So we're all get, we're going to be over the bridge. Okay. We're over, we're at the bridge. <laughs> we're about to pay the toll. <laughs> you're like, okay, I'm going to give you a heads up of what's ahead, but we're going to use some curiosity. We're not actually going over the bridge, but we're going to animal like crawl over, I don't know, on the banister or something. But that's what I feel like you offer this in in the way that you teach because you bring, like you spoke of, you touched on it earlier. And I know this about you too, is like, you don't just teach asana, like the physical practice, but you bring in a lot of like your own curiosity of movement. Like you touched on, you bring in the elements of movement 109 and um, the the work that you do with, um, oh, what's it called? Mace? Oh, the mace. Yeah, the yes, mace. Yes, my mace. <laughs> and, and all that functional movement. And I, you do you want to speak to that a little bit of like why you're drawn to it and why you bring that in? Um, 
Sure. And maybe it's because, like I said, I like, um, well, I like moving and I like doing things by myself. So weightlifting and mace work is <laughs> pretty key for that. It's not like I'm going to go join a soccer team or something. Um, and so I do, I'm drawn to individual movements. Um, I like getting stronger. I like it, like literally feels empowered. Um, I think that the mind and movement connection in yoga actually aligns really perfectly with weight bearing, um, activities. Like you have to be able to literally have a mind connection to know which muscles to activate, to lift weights. Um, same with mace. So a steel mace, if you don't know, is like literally like a mace from the, um, middle ages. And then you swing it around yourself or you lift it or you toss it. And you have to be super mindful about where that 10 pound mace is flying across your house. Um, or, <laughs> or else you get, apparently I, my son tells me I have 20 marks on my ceiling. Um, so yeah, so I, I just like things that like literally ground me into the moment, um, and allow for this creativity. And I think a certain element, element of, um, expression and, uh, creativity. Yeah. Expansion yeah. and grounding. I love that. I mean, that was a question I was going to ask you later, but we're here now is this idea of centering and how it's so important in terms of being a leader, being able to, you've obviously loved to work alone. We we've gotten that, <laughs> but you do lead, you do lead a group of people and tribe and teaching, but like it feel, and you're in your family too, right? You're a leader in your family. And so it feels like what you're speaking into is like, you have to feel really grounded in your body. You have to feel centered in your body in order to step into those roles. And can you speak to that? Or if there are other elements that you, you do to center? Um, Yeah. And I would say that, frankly, I feel that most um, in my homeschool, you know, if maybe if people homeschooled their kids in 2020 or had to have the kids at home or anyone that lives with anybody for an extended period of time, whether it's your animal or your pet or, you know, a older relative. Um, I think this can be the ultimate place of, of quick reactions and being drawn, especially if you have, you know, multiple kids or a spouse and a kid or whatever, a dog and a cat, um, multiple needs in one time. And so that's when I most notice it is, you know, I'll be working over here with somebody on one subject and then, Hey, mommy, come look at this over here. Um, and I used to go back and forth, you know, and try, try, try to like meet all needs at one time. And then you realize like, I'm really nowhere. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when do I feel grounded? Uh, and when I feel grounded, then I can say, no, I'm here now. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm doing this. Yeah. And this is also working, I think the other obvious example now is like zoom life. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I can't go and whatever, take something out of the oven because like I'm here in this meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, we, this, this idea with technology and where you are can definitely feel not grounding. Um, so just, I, I do kind of come back to that mantra. Like I am, I am here Um, and is my mind also here or is it, is it elsewhere? And, um, I think wearing a lot of different hats as a leader, um, you know, whether you're a leader and a family member, a leader and a teacher, a leader and a volunteer, whatever, it's like knowing what role am I filling right now? Um, and it can be the same role, but maybe a different intent from time to time, um, and being grounded in that. Mm-hmm. I think is important for me. Yeah. yeah. You touched on so many really important things. I mean, the boundaries <laughs> of, you know, especially if you are in one space and I think everybody felt that in some way, unless like me, they lived alone. Actually I lived with grandma for a number of months and <laughs> then I needed to move out because I need my yeah. boundaries. <laughs> grandma, I know she's let's <laughs> um, but no, but it, it like what you spoke of is really, you know, say claiming your space the space, the internal space, the physical space. And that doesn't, ha- and when I'm listening to you and, and feeling into that, it, it's not like a put up the walls. I'm not available right now. Like the blinds go up, right? Like, no, it's just, it's felt like to me, like 
you decided you dug your heels and you took a breath and it's like, okay, this is where I am right now. This is what I can offer to this person. And I can't do it for this. And you, it feels like you really know how to ground in that way. That is also giving, you know, not just closing off, but actually in that really reciprocal energy, but with really clear boundaries. And then you also spoke really a a bigger conversation. I feel like we need a whole other interview about is the technology and those boundaries that we have or the lack of because we are in our personal home space now and we don't know what's going on in the background, right? Like yeah. I think I saw your daughter walk in a minute yeah, ago. She comes in, she often comes in quite excited. So bring her down. Which is absolutely <laughs> fabulous. Um, but yeah, but it is, it's like we have, we've all of a sudden the last handful of years, we have lost those, those boundaries that we physically had to a certain extent. And now that they have somewhat dissolved. And so I'd love to, cause I, cause now I'm also visualizing you with your family and having those moments and saying, and then how, and I know this business has been a journey with you because I remember this came up a lot in your teacher training was the emotions of others, particularly mm-hmm. in the family, but also in other leadership roles too. Like how, how is that being grounded been in a really important part of that evolution of being able to hold space for the other emotional landscapes of, of the people that you're leading? Mm-hmm. Um, well, when I'm able to see beyond my own, you know, emotional landscape, to use your word, I realize like I have space for others. Right. And so mm-hmm. I felt like so much of my reactions and I'm not perfect, right? Like this happened when, when I don't feel grounded, it's usually when my family comes up and is like, uh, why are you, you know, moving so fast? And why are you trying to do multiple things at one time? And I'm like, I'm not, it's totally fine. Everything's fine. I have plenty of time, you know, and, and you can watch yours. And so others, right. will usually call us out when, when they know my goals. Um, <laughs> and oh man, big question. So what I am trying to say here is that when I notice I am not grounded, it is when I am like most egotistical and I will try to be self-serving in my emotions um, at the extent of others. Mm. And I, so I don't know if that makes sense, but I will be like so wrapped up in my own mind that I can't mm-hmm. be curious about others mm-hmm. and I can't be curious about how my current um, emotions, reactions are affecting others. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I am most grounded, that's when I can say and make the right decisions of, uh, right. I see them at the time. Um, I am here and I know that you need me or, and I can respond or this, and, and this is my response or, Hey, I'm going to have to look at this later. I don't have a response for that now. Whereas sometimes when I am like most, off balance and trying to juggle multiple things, I will try to be everywhere at once, thus Mm -hmm. nowhere, um, or just literally nowhere and shut myself off and choose not to be grounded anywhere. Um, I don't know. Yeah. So (laughs) no, that is, no, there's so much there. Um, I'm wondering, cause I'm, I can kind of like visualize this and by the way, I I would love to like be a fly on the wall when you're trying to travel. Cause I know you always like, (laughs) Oh golly! Like, we have a- <laughs> it'll be fun. It'll be fun to watch. Um, yeah, but what? Okay, so in those moments, let's just imagine that you're like kind of running around and catching yourself, and maybe family members are acknowledging this. What is a go-to for you to say? Okay, I caught myself. I'm in this hamster wheel of you know my old pattern of reacting and sort of staying in my own like chaotic bubble. It feels like. How, once you catch yourself, what is your first go-to? So the thing I've had the most success with recently is journaling. And, mm-hmm. um, and I still have to like actively choose to step away yeah, and like actually journal. Right. Because, um, I heard this said recently and I like it, uh, you know, when you are in this rabbit wheel or whatever we said, um, like you can just go over and over and I can run the same path over and over and over. Uh, and when I have to write, like I have to get off the wheel and finish my thought. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess I could literally just write the same thing over and over and over and over. And when I'm ready to make a change, which is, you know, what would happen when I pick up my journal, like I have to finish the thought. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then I can usually like see it in writing and say, okay, like this isn't true or this is true and that's okay. Like it needs to change. Now it's done. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have to choose to make that time. I have to choose to step away. Um, And I have to be cognizant enough to notice that that's where I am. And, you know, sometimes it takes time. It could take, could take a week for those elements to be together. And that's okay. Fortunately, I'm near forgiving people, um, accepting people. I think that's one important part of being a leader, like having a good um, team around you. Yes. Um, Yeah. I love, I love the journaling. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. So you, so what it sounds like is you catch yourself and then you start to write whatever that hamster wheel thought is. And so you find some sort of completion of that thought and then you can make a new choice. Awesome. And And it's usually pretty fast, right? Because I'm usually able to say, this is the same story that I've told myself a million other times. Mm -hmm. It's not true. (laughs) Here we are again. Um, and that's okay. You know, cause I've been doing this work for many, quite a few years now, like pretty intensely. Um, yeah. I wouldn't have had that same ability, like even five years ago. Yeah. So. And so not to change the subject, but I think it is intertwined to this. Cause you kind of spoke about the forgiveness on the other side of it. And we have a beautiful program that you really put together with one of our graduates of the tribe program, Anne-Marie, uh, for moral injury. And we haven't really dove at this point where I'm talking and interviewing, we haven't really dove into this idea of moral injury, but I think it's a really important conversation to have in um, the scope of not just military, but really any sort of anybody, but we're kind of under the scope of the leadership. So can you share a little bit about just first of all, what moral injury is if people don't know, and then- what you've learned and not everything, of course, but like some <laughs> words of wisdom around that. Yeah. So moral injury is not a, you know, DMS uh, diagnosis. So it's um, just maybe you've observed a collection of patterns in yourself. Uh, it should be said, if you think you have severe moral injury after listening, like certainly um, seek professional care. Um, it can be really dangerous and, you know, for yourself and for others um, and how you are, live in the world. Um, But moral injury, we all have a code of morals, whether it's shaped by our religion, our upbringing, all of these confluence of things. Um, And when we go beyond morals, so uh, beyond our moral set, which is different for everyone. So as with all things, this is very individualized, very subjective. um, Mm -hmm. Then we could be a consequence for moral injury. So, um, we definitely see this in the military. We ask people to kill others. That's usually a pretty big human moral, right? Don't hurt others. Don't kill others. Um, and if we're in a situation when that happens, there's a potential for moral injury. Certainly doesn't have to be anywhere dramatic. Um, moral injury was a very big issue with healthcare within 2020, right? When you're choosing, um, you know, one patient, this patient or that patient. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it can be things within your um larger scope, like for some people, just knowing that they weren't supposed to steal time, energy, whatever. And they did. Yeah. So we all have our own morals. Um, it doesn't, there's no worse than or whatever than anyone else. It's just whatever is that is for you. Um, so yeah, working on this work, I definitely realized, I think that's what stayed with me from the military, uh, is my own moral injury. And the big symptoms of moral injury, um, shame is the absolute, you know, number one feeling. Um, shame versus guilt, right? This feeling of like, I am a bad person um, because of whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, withdrawing from others, uh, withdrawing into yourself, getting on that hamster wheel of ideas that you can't move beyond it and that you can't be a good person anymore are pretty classic symptoms of moral injury. Um, so I can certainly see these patterns that I recur in myself. Like I said, now I can identify, um, routines that might bring me back to that hamster wheel. Um, and I can work on telling myself it's not true. Yeah. The number one way beyond moral injury is, you know, serving others, reaching out to others, not letting yourself go through that place, um, of withdrawal. And all people make mistakes. Certainly leaders make mistakes. And those can be some of the most obvious, uh, I shouldn't say obvious, um, public mistakes, you know, things that other people see. 
And um, that can be hard. That can be hurtful to yourself and potentially to others. So um, I think recognizing symptoms of moral injury in yourself and or especially as a leader, people that are under you, especially in um, uh, professions where moral injury might be more common. So military, doctor, even teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, I have strong moral injury if you know you have students that you know never eat breakfast every day. Um, students, you know, that when you go home, they're going to get hurt, um, from whatever circumstance that you're sending them home to, and there's nothing you can do. Um, so if you are a leader and you find yourself in one of these professions, I think it's important that you, you know, your people, um, and know yourself and take time to be curious about, yeah, symptoms that you're experiencing or not even a symptoms, maybe not the right word, um, observe what's going on around you, you know, and within you. Yeah. I think, you know, I think some, a big portion of the group that will be here listening will also be in the healing realm too. And I definitely feel that there can be some issues around moral injury as well. When we feel that, you know, it's our job to heal people. And that's why I don't even use, I don't use that word healer because it puts that weight and that responsibility, but it's really about the holding space for the person to heal themselves. But if we think that we're truly holding that healing power and giving it to them and something goes quote unquote wrong, whatever that might be, maybe it's, you know, that Kundalini energy rising and they're not ready for it. And it creates more of like a a split, like almost like a, you know, psychotic episode. And there could be some moral injury around that. Right. And so I'm just going to throw that into the mix because there might be people out there who think, oh, that's a military or doctor thing. And, but that, that could be a very, very real conversation to have. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Knowing, you know, so always asking like, what are my morals? What are my limits? What are my, it's my mission. And, and anytime something goes off of what you envision as this, this ideal, this perfect, which yeah. I think spiritual leaders might very much have, right. They've spent a lot of time. This is what I imagine I'm bringing to the world. Yeah. Um, whenever something might go off course, then that's ripe ground for potential moral injury for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think what, the word that you said right there was limits. I think that it's, again, it's the boundaries. It's being able to understand, okay, this is what I'm capable of. And this is actually what I'm, you know, should, should set that boundary for. Even if I'm capable of more, I need to set this container up for this person so that they can facilitate their own journey, <laughs> right? Like I'm leading them to a certain point but then they have to do, they actually have to be the ones that pick up their feet and step forward and choose to step forward or, or go off in a whole other direction. Right. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So that kind of comes into this idea of space and how to, how you, first of all, what is an open, safe, inclusive, and whatever other word you want to put in their space that for you. What is that? Um, well, we've established time and again, I like being by myself. So <laughs> a uh, not crowded space, <laughs> a space with people that I know, um, a space that I can exit, mm-hmm. um, a space that's pretty quiet. Yeah. I mean, other than that, I'm pretty blankets. <laughs> you know, I, I don't mean to put you on the spot. I did not have the intention to ask you about this, but I don't know if we spoke publicly about your Movement 109 experience and dancing. Do you yeah. mind touching on that a little bit? Um, sure. So I didn't like dancing. <laughs> I wouldn't say <laughs> um, it wasn't something I was ever comfortable in doing. And so when I uh, Phoebe introduced movement 109. I was like, I don't know about <laughs> this. Uh, now I love rolling on the ground and I love it even more now. It's like what I go to still. Uh, mm-hmm. But even like in the beginning of movement 109, you were like having us lay on the floor. I was like, no, no, no. Like I hurt everywhere laying on the floor and <laughs> I don't know how to free move or dance. Um, so lots and lots of discomfort, uh, internal, physical, like external all of the realms of discomfort. 
Um, but I stuck with it, gradually stayed with it, largely for the groundwork. And uh, then I just increasingly felt more comfortable with it for sure. Um, mm-hmm. During lockdown, I'd like dance all around the house all the time with my kids. Um, well, they were not dancing and it was mainly just me. <laughs> just like, watch me. Yeah, I think you got to have them come to one of the movement one Yes, yeah, Quimby got into a little bit. Yeah. She'll dance. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think it's led to some pretty emotional reactions in me at times, uh, especially in public space. You observed, I think, ultimately it led yeah. to that. Um, you know, you never know, like, what's the chicken or the egg when you have a pretty big reaction. Um, I do now just because of how I practice, typically practice movement when I'm like alone mm-hmm. versus with others, but I think I'm, I'm comfortable p- practicing it with others. Um, yeah. So movement like that took me beyond out of, and way beyond my comfort zone, um, in terms of relating to others, then relating to myself. I feel as though dancing, even when alone, uh, is very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I feel as though it is just a naturally public act. And I don't know if everyone would agree with me. I think people would probably disagree with me, but that's how it feels in my body, Mm -hmm. like a very open and vulnerable act, even, even on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, so even when I practice it on my own, it still feels very open and reaching out to others, um, for good some days and for challenge some other days. So maybe a lot. Yeah. (laughs) That's thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I I brought that into the conversation because I because when I was asking you the question about an open, safe, inclusive space, because that's a question I'm asking for everybody. And when you were talking about it, I was like, huh, that's right. You were really somewhat uncomfortable when we first came in. Cause I I did. I I forced you all. <laughs> it's part of your teacher training, your 300 hour. I, I brought that into a workshop saying, cause I didn't know what I was doing yet. Like I had been doing this movement, particularly the groundwork and codifying it with a healer as my mentor for a number of months. And I thought, I'm not sure if this is something that's just for me to do at home and practice it as my own healing, or if this is for something to share. And, and the mentor said, yes, this is for you to share. So you were essentially, I think it was the second group. Cause I think I said, I shared it in the retreat that Jessica was on just before that, like the week before that, but it was my first time holding a big space for people. And so I will be transparent. I wasn't fully confident in it because I was still trying things out and you all were sort of forced into this space (laughs) to try this, which was not necessarily yoga. And you all could have very well been like, I did not sign up for this. I want to be a yoga teacher. But the reason why I feel called to to speak into this was because yes, I definitely was like sitting before and I was like, okay, there are going to be a handful of people that are not going to be happy. And you were definitely (laughs) on the list. (laughs) I was like, okay. And I, but I made sure that I was like how I held the space for a few of you, like to give you that time to just be alone, not to like make you do things that you didn't want to do, really make it a choice and make that the safe. And I'm wondering for you, if you can recall back to that, like you did feel it uncomfortable, but there was something there that allowed you to feel safe so that you did it again. Because after that, it was always a choice. That mm-hmm. day wasn't necessarily a choice <laughs> to do it. But after that, and so much so that you did the teacher training, the facilitator mm-hmm. training last year, and you're facilitating yeah. Movement 109 in Germany. So can you kind of speak into that? Like, what was it that even though you felt a little uncomfortable, it, it'll, there was something there. Was it curiosity? Was it the safety or both? Yeah, I think it was the curiosity. I feel like I have, I think that movement 109 more than anything else in my practice definitely unlocked um, this idea of curiosity and staying in the body. Um, I think it's really transformed my practice. Although, you know, if anyone were to take your practice, then my practice they would probably, I don't know, maybe not see any similarities. (laughs) Like, I think that's a cool thing. Uh, And I think that's an empowering thing about um, nomad teaching and about like your teaching and hopefully um, what we teach in tribe is that it 
doesn't have to look just one way, right? And that's exciting and that's amazing. Um, and that's leadership also. Yeah. Uh, hopefully that you can let people see that, right? That like, this is me. I am a leader in this organization and you don't have to look anything like this. Um, to like hold something, to create something and then let it go. I think it's like a huge sign of leadership. So, but I think that unlocking that curiosity um, made me feel uh, stay in my body. Maybe I started out not feeling safe and then taught me that my body is a safe place um, and that I can always make choices and be in control. Um, and that I can like, look funny and whatever. I probably look funny most of the time anyways. Um, yeah, we brought in like this element of, you know, you mentioned the playfulness and things, but I think if most people see me on the uh, street, like playful doesn't come to mind, you know, <laughs> They're like, does this lady ever smile or like, oh, I don't want to go up to her right now. I don't know what's happening. Um, so I can be like a little serious in the moment, but I think when people uh, or like in passing, I'm not sure what the phrase is, but then I think when people um, get to know me, oh my goodness, I just, you're talking about family. I just yeah. took a new passport photo and yeah. my husband and my kids looked at it and they were like, were you trying to like kill the camera? Like I have <laughs> your face. <laughs> I was like, that told me I had to have a I don't know, a blank face. They were like, that is not a blank face. That is like a murderer's face. And <laughs> so I can like definitely go there pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> you, so. the word that I thought was unassuming, but now that you just told that story, I feel like you're a slow, <laughs> you're a slow burn, Amy. Like you come in, you're very like, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, you're meeting them where they're at because that's the population. You're, you're kind of like stoic, right? Like mm. you are a little bit more stoic and that's sort of the way that I see you as claiming your space in the male dominated and mindset, like you were speaking into Like I'm meeting you where you're at and just so you know, I'm in charge. But mm -hmm. then, you know, <laughs> the way that you teach, I love so much because all of a sudden you're like making these jokes, but you say it's so dry and I'm like, is she for real? Like, but it, but it's like, like I said, it's a slow burn. You're just like, just, you know, putting this little playfulness in there, this curiosity in there, but you're still in this sort of stoic space of, you know, this persona that you have. And then, but that's where I can feel your guard is getting down. And that allows people who come in with that same energy too, like a little bit of that ego on more on their side is that ego of like, what's this yoga thing? Or what, you know, what are we going to do? What's this woman teaching me? I don't know, <laughs> those various conversations that might be in their head. And you really come in with this presence of yeah, this is what, this is what we're doing. But then as they get into the practice, I can see you adding a little bit of that, that slow burn of, of humor and curiosity that their guards come down to. So oh it's God. really, it's really powerful to, to have that, that, that gift. Yeah. Thank you. And I'm crying from laughing. <laughs> it's, I'll have to show you that picture. It's pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll oh, make that like your break new... the screen though. <laughs> we'll make that your new nomad guide. Oh, golly. It would be an, it was a real bad. That's pretty bad. And they last for 10 years. Everyone told me 10 years. It is 10 years. Um, yeah. Well, maybe for everybody who's listening to this, we'll just have to put that as your like headshot for the summit. And you can't wear glasses. It's, anyways, it's, oh it's not gosh. good. Oh my gosh, you're so funny. Um, okay, we have been to lots of amazing places today. It, but is there anywhere else that you want to emphasize or make sure we, if we didn't touch on something? Um, no, I just tell people to just keep trying <laughs> in a good sense, like, <laughs> to, you know, that and you, you can be a leader. I can do it. You can do it. And it just, it just requires someone to step up. Right. You see, yeah. you see something, you want to change it and, and you can do it. Then you might get it wrong. You probably get it wrong a lot and yeah. that's okay. I like that reclaiming of trying, you know, the, the word that has been, I feel like I've been hearing a lot the last handful of years because of the pandemic is pivoting. And I absolutely mm. hated it because <laughs> I mean, as a dancer, you know, there's a lot of pivots that that's what a transition is, is a pivot, but 
you know, I, I used to struggle with, with it. Like I used to write in my journal about how I hated transitions. Like I was so horrible physically in, in my dancing. Like I hated certain things and, but it was because I wasn't fully centered and in mm-hmm. how I knew how to change direction. So I had to be centered first, but the way that you really speak about trying, it feels centered. Like it feels like, yeah, this is me. And you might not like me, but I'm going to keep trying. And I'm going to like, it has, like I said, the word spunk before it has a lot of um, energy behind it, the way that you speak into trying. So good job. Well, we very much, I guess I should have had it next. The, um, we, my, my family, we very much go back to the um, Theodore Roosevelt man in the arena, you know, I'm like, this, this is the trying. Mm -hmm. And um, I am like usually covered with something all over my face or my hands or whatever, usually my shirt. I just wear aprons around the house. I actually took my apron off for this interview. Um, And like, that's trying, right? That's, that's it. And that's okay. (laughs) That's good. That's awesome. Can you let people know about where to, how can, how to continue to be with you and tribe and what the free gift that you're gifting Sure. So tribe is tribeyogamilitary.org. We have some videos on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. If you're curious as to what some of the practices look like, whether they're movement practices, um, meditation practices, breathwork practices, um, or you just want to check out one of our trainings. We tend to have two trainings a year. Uh, We do have an online moral injury training, 100% self-paced and virtual. That's available all the time. Um, And we host a yoga teacher training each year. So if you are interested in joining those, or if you know someone that wants to work with the military, serve others um, or veterans, certainly check us out. So tryyogamilitary.org. Awesome. Thank you. Oh, I'm so grateful to have this time with you, Amy. It's just, it's, I was thinking about this when I was getting ready today. I was like, oh my gosh, we have known each other for five years. So you've been a student and a colleague and business co-owner. I don't know what the co-founder and the just, it's been a, just a joy to be able to witness you as you've made this transition and really own this leadership role. So thank you for letting me be a witness and also being a guide part of the time. And yeah. Thank so you. Yeah. It's been great working with you. Yeah. Congratulations. Yes. Nice. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Amy. Cool. Okay. Bye. Oh my goodness. I hope that you enjoyed your time with Amy. I always do when I get to spend some time with her. And again, I just want to invite you to join us at the Reimagining and Body Leadership Summit. I did not mention this before, but it the doors have closed on the container of being with us in that live respect, but you can still join us. We are giving this, it was free, but now we're doing this so that you can purchase it and have lifetime access to the summit. Again, that gives you 30 30 amazing speakers, embodied leaders, as well as the live sessions that were recorded. You have access to that. And yeah, a transformational journey, my friends. And if you want to explore even more, there's so many ways of working together. So if you resonate with what I teach here, my voice, uh, and you want to dig in a little bit more deeply, I have one-on-one sessions, as well as it has already launched by the time that you hear this, but there might be a spot or two open by the time you listen that you can squeeze in our Alchemy for Embodied Leaders program. And this is a mastery and certification program where you can truly become that embodied leader that you have been waiting for. So each month, it's an eighth month month journey where we dig into the ideas of what makes an, a leader really truly walk their talk. How do you build trust and safety in your own self so that you can lead others who will trust you and are in line with your values? How can you really lean into more use of creativity, time and space rather than just having to always be productive? How can you do that for yourself? How can you do that within the environment that you lead in? How can you really truly move from a place from inspired action 
rather than just keep on that hamster wheel and burning yourself out. And then how do you really deal with your emotional landscape? You're knowing, knowing your shadows and your light emotions. How do you really make friends with them so that you can be more empathetic leader? You can take people along for the journey and know that you can navigate those inner landscapes within yourself and understand the other. How do you speak in a way that is effectively communicating the power of your mission so that you can inspire others to come along? And how can you really tap into your own inner guidance, your intuition, and that support in the seen world and the unseen world so that you can be truly that embodied leader and get your mission, your vision, your project, whatever that is, to come to this reality so that you can feel fully aligned and proud of what you create in this world. So you can join us. There is a link here in the bio to join the Alchemy for Embodied Leaders. It's a mastery and certification program. And I would be honored to guide you through that. And again, if you're listening to this and it's a little late, you can still join our mailing list for getting notified for the next time we release this project, this program. And again, you have other options of joining our membership at the Nomad Guides, which Amy is a part of. You get to hang out with her as well as myself. And you can also work with me one-on-one. So there are lots of options. Uh, What I say is that you are not alone, my friends. Even if it's just me here hanging out with you, you're not alone. We've got this. And what I would love to have you do, if you don't mind, is share this with a friend. If this conversation really resonated with you and you want to share it, share it with a friend, share it on social media, leave us a review. This really helps us become the ripple effect that we want to see in the world. We would greatly appreciate that and we greatly appreciate you. So thank you for being here and now go out and have a beautiful day.